evidence and answers. When sharing what you believe with others, do you turn people away or draw them in? We sometimes forget that certain tactics can cause rejection instead of embracement of the gospel. So what is your game plan for discussing your faith? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, we begin with message four, taken from the 2017 Apologetics Conference, held each year in Hawaii. Pat hosts this conference and brings out the best scholars, teachers, and authors to share in teaching and equipping you, the believer, to be able to share your faith effectively in our culture today. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Let's tune in as Greg Kokel presents part two, Tactics, a plan for discussing your Christian convictions. He doesn't have a pen or pencil, right? He's, got a, he's not prepared. He's got to bum a pencil off of somebody. And this guy shows up at the crime scene, you know, and he's walking around scratching his head, mumbling to himself. And this guy doesn't look like he can think his way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, this guy's stupid, but he's stupid like a fox, right? Because he's got a plan. And at some point, he'll pause and put his hand to furrow a brow like this, like he's deep in painful thought. And then he'll say something like this. I don't know. There's something about this thing that bothers me. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Right, he asks a question. Gets the answer back, huh? You're very intelligent. One more thing. And then he one more tings them to death, right? Question after question after question. Pretty soon people start getting annoyed. He said, I'm sorry. It's because I'm asking all these questions, but I can't help it. I can't help it. It's a habit. And this is a habit that you ought to get into. The key to the Colombo tactic is the Christian goes on the offense in an inoffensive way using carefully selected questions to advance the conversation. Let me say that again. The key to the tactic is that the Christian goes on the offensive in an inoffensive way. Remember Lieutenant Colombo, man? He does, he's not scary. People don't take him seriously. With carefully selected questions to advance the conversation. Okay? So this is going to be our game plan. And there are three uses to questions, which means there are three parts of our game plan. And the first two steps in our game plan, I'm actually going to give you a model question to ask. So this is going to be really, really easy. And what you do in your game plan is you follow the steps of the game plan as far as you're able in any conversation, and then you just let it go. You do not worry about it. I do not believe that every encounter is a divine appointment. Sometimes it's just ships passing in the night. There's nothing there. And there's going to be times when I'm going to use my game plan and initiate conversations, and it goes nowhere. Well, why, why should I push the river? I mentioned last night to a question there, if people don't want to talk to me, I don't want to talk to them. Why, why would I want to annoy them? They're not interested. Why bruise the fruit, right? Trying to jerk on the fruit before it's ready? That's not a good idea. Okay, so I'm just going to go with the flow, but I'm using my game plan. Now, when I use the phrase game plan, I mean this quite literally. That is, I have the steps of my game plan in my mind, and I'm going to give you the steps so that when I encounter somebody that I would like, hope, maybe would have a spiritual impact somehow in their life, put a stone in their shoe, I think of the first step of my game plan. That's all I have to worry about. Do the first thing. 
And then if that's productive, then I have another step, I can go there. Very simple. And if that's productive, I have another step to pursue. All right? Now, I'm just going to give you, in the short time I have, the first two uses of Columbo. Okay? That's all I need to give you to fulfill my promise that I made to you a little while ago. But the third step is really important. So I'm giving you just enough to annoy you. So then you buy the book. Because there's really good stuff in there. All right? But this will get you going. Okay? The first two uses of Columbo with the first two model questions and... What I'm suggesting then is, when you're in a circumstance, don't worry about the gospel, don't worry about sharing Christ, don't worry about... Those are all going to happen kind of naturally if you follow the game plan. So, here's the first use of Columbo. The first use of Columbo is to gather information. Gather information. Columbo shows up at the crime scene. There's a dead body. He's got to solve the crime. How does he solve the crime? Unless he knows something. He can't move forward productively unless he gets the lay of the land. If you're military, we're getting intel. You know how that works. You just don't go charging right out if there's unfriendlies in the area without the intel. You're going to get your head shot off. First, you gather some information, okay? And incidentally, when you use questions to do that, gather information. Some people might think, well, I don't want, maybe people don't want to answer my questions. That's not the way it works. You start drawing another person out and showing some interest in the other person, this is friendly. This is, just, this is showing respect. This is courteous. They're doing all the talking. You just ask some questions. They do all the talking, and they think you're a great conversationalist. You know, wow, that's great. Okay. And in the process, hopefully, you're going to be gathering information that will allow you to know whether you go on to the next step. So I'm going to tell you how important this intel thing is. Because I was sitting in an airplane uh, next to a guy named John. And I had started the flight looking at my Bible, reading my Bible. Now, I just want to tell you something about reading my Bible in public. I do not care what people think about whether I like the Bible or not. If they say, you know, that offends me. I said, why does it offend you? I don't like the Bible. And I said, then don't read it. Okay? Now, I'm not using my Bible as a prop. I don't carry it around to show, hey, man, anybody got any questions? No. I'm just, it's morning time. I'm on the plane. I can't work because you're taking off. You can't have your computer. I'm going to read my Bible. I don't read it all the time. But that morning, I was. Okay, so this sent a little signal to this guy. We got in a conversation. I'm drawing him out. I'm gathering information. His name is John. I'm getting a lay of the land. John tells me he's not a Christian. Is that important to know? Yeah. Then he says, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore. Is that important to know? Then he says, well, actually, I used to be a preacher's kid. I said, John, how do you used to be a preacher's kid? Did your dad die? No, no, my dad didn't die. He's still alive. All right. But he's no longer a preacher. Oh. And he's no longer a Christian. Oh. Do you think there's any baggage sitting next to me here in this plane? Can you imagine if I had jumped in there and started sharing some simplified gospel presentation, which I'm not putting that down, but I'm just talking about being tactical, right? He would have said, been there, done that, and it hurt. But instead, I just drew him out, let him talk, and he laid into me. Now, he didn't lay into me personally. What he did was he was very candid about his own frustrations and hostilities about Christianity. And at some point, you know, after he's talking for a little while, he says this. He says, you know, people like you What's he mean, people like me? People who read Bibles on planes is what he's talking about. People like you would normally be really mad at a person like me, given what I've said. But you're not mad at me. I appreciate that. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you think given John's past that me just sitting there, drawing him out, listening to him, not complaining, not berating him, not pushing back on him, do you think it is marginally possible that that by itself could have put a stone in his shoe? What do you think? So what have I done? I've done nothing. I've just drawn him out, gathering information, the first step of my, my game plan. That's all I've done. I hope that begins to suggest to you the power of this approach. Am I under pressure? I'm not under pressure. I'm not inclined to take personally something that I haven't done to him. But I'll tell you this, when I got off that airplane, I had his email in my pocket. Is that trust? How did that happen? Well, he was talking about the Bible being changed over multiple translations and all down through time copying and recopying, kind of a Bart Ehrman's kind of thing. And I said, well, I actually wrote an article about that. It's on our website, just if you want to know. It's called Misquoting Jesus? Because that's the title of Bart Ehrman's book. So I respond to that. And he said, yeah, I'd like to read it. I said, where shall I send it? That's all. He said, here it is. He gave me that. I got to the hotel that night. I fired off an email to him with the file. He sent one back the next morning. He said, thank you. That's the last I've ever heard from him. Well, you didn't follow him up? No. This guy's already been brutalized by Christians. Why should I be another one in the line? I just let him have. Look, he's got an article. Did I give him something? Absolutely. And then the, he's got our website at the bottom. I mean, look, at, he's got what he needs. I can entrust him to the Lord. He's my task for that moment, but he's God's what? He's God's problem. All right? What was I doing? I was drawing him out, gathering information. And as I, I talked to him and drew him out and he talked more, I started to get a picture of a topography of his spiritual life, so to speak. I'm getting intel. And I realized, man, there's some minefields out there. And now I'm able to maneuver in a way that I don't set off those minds. Do you see the value of that? Now, let me give you the model question that you can use. It's very, very flexible. So there's lots of ways you can go with this. The model question is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? The witch in Wisconsin, she had the pendant, the five-pointed star, the pentagram. What did I ask her? I said, what do you mean by that? Basically, does that jewelry have religious significance? And then off we, are, we went. It was that, that simple. And when she talked about it a little bit more, maybe there were some ambiguities or something that I didn't quite understand about her view. And so I said, what do you mean by that? There's all kinds of ways you can do that. But the point is to draw the person out and let them talk. At this stage of the game plan, you are a student. I know Easter's coming up. And a lot of you are going to have friends and family come over, and everybody's got a, kind of a nasty Uncle Harry who's the atheist who makes a mess of things, you know. And maybe you've gone head-to-head -head with him in the past. I've just got a suggestion. Maybe what you do this time, you just approach the enterprise, the engagement with him as a student, and all you're going to do is draw him out and get a more full-bodied understanding of what he actually does believe. Oh, he's an atheist, I know. Well, what kind of atheist are you? What kind of God don't you believe in? You don't believe in a guy with a, a gray beard sitting up on the throne somewhere in the sky? I don't believe in that kind of God either. All right, That's not God anyway. That's Father Time. Right behind the throne is a sickle. Maybe he believes uh, not in the God of organized religion, but maybe in some kind of force. Or maybe he's just a materialist like Richard Dawkins and doesn't believe anything that you can't see or feel or smell or taste or hear. All right. Well, I can't move forward productively unless I have more information. So I'm going to ask about that. Somebody makes a statement. Everything's relative. We talked about relativism last night. And if they said that to you at Easter, you're going to go, oh, man, let me get my notes. Can't remember what Kokel said. How do I deal with that? You don't have to worry about your notes at this stage. If you remember stuff, great. But you don't need that at this stage. 
If somebody says everything's relative, you can ask what? What do you mean by that? Okay, the ball is now in their court. He says everything relative, that feels like pressure. What am I going to say? You say, what do you mean by that? Bang, it's in his court. No pressure. Now he's got to tell you what he means by that. Like, what does he mean by relative? I know what relativism means. I guarantee you, most people who say everything's relative are not going to be able to just explain it to you. They learn this statement from the friends around them, and they just repeat it. That's all. They've not thought about it, okay? And if they tell me what relative means such that everything is that way, I have another question regarding their statement. What do you mean by everything? Everything's relative? What do you mean by relative? What do you mean by relative? Because keep in mind, if it turns out everything means everything, isn't the statement everything's relative part of everything? Which would make the statement what? Relative. You see a problem there? Okay, now what's all the hard work that I've done? I haven't done any hard work. I've just asked a question. What do you mean by that? Now look, I have, I could go on for an hour just talking about that one question and how we could use it to your advantage. Whenever anybody makes any statement or any claim about Christianity, I guarantee you there are going to be ambiguities in the statement. This happened on the radio show the other day when I was with Pat, you know. I remember one question about the problem of evil, and and my question was some form of like, what, what exactly is the problem? Spell it out for me. That's what I want the other person to do. Spell out the problem. Don't just say, what about evil? I'm going to say, what about it? By the way, what is that phrase? It's a question, a bang, it went right by to him. Well, that's a problem for you, isn't it? I said, how? Spell it out for me, because the minute they spell it out, now I've got something more concrete to work with. And I'm going to tell, that's just one example. There's lots and lots I can give you, and i got lots of them in the book. But I just want you to point something out. You are going to discover, when you start doing this, you're going to discover something really unbelievable. That is, when you ask a question of clarification, what do you mean by that, you're going to get what I, oftentimes, what I call a Simon and Garfunkel response. Remember those guys? Back in 1966, wrote that wonderful song, The Sounds of... Silence. So that's what you're going to hear. What do you mean by that? Silence. I'll tell you why you're going to get silence, because a lot of people have never thought about what they mean when they say these things. And what you're doing is you're giving them an opportunity to clarify, even in their own mind, what they actually mean. And again, I'm, I'm just telling you, I know from my own experience and from dozens of others who have talked to me about this very thing, that when they just ask the question, they make progress in somebody's life, they have an impact because they force the other person to clarify their own view. I don't have time to get into all the really cool stories about how that happened, but you'll discover this for yourself if you start doing this, okay? So the first question is, what do you mean by that? And the goal there is to gather information. You're just trying to get the lay of the land, okay? You can ask this question all day long until the cows come home, and you're going to get valuable information. Now, there are limitations to it. Guys, if your wife calls you an idiot, don't ask her, what do you mean by that? Yeah, she might just clarify, you know. Now, there's a lot of guys laughing in that, so I know what's going on in your life. All right. Okay, here's the second use of Columbo. The second use of Columbo, first one, gather information, use the question, what do you mean by that? The second use of Columbo is to reverse the burden of proof. It's to reverse the burden of proof. Write that down. Now, let me tell you what that means. The burden of proof is the responsibility somebody in the conversation has to give reasons for a view. The burden of proof. 
Who has the responsibility in a conversation to give reasons for review? Here's the rule. The person that makes the claim bears the burden. The person that makes the claim bears the burden of proof. So if somebody says something, claims something, especially if it's controversial, it is their responsibility to give reasons why they think you should take that seriously. So if the uh, district attorney comes to your house and knocks on the door and said, you killed that guy, you get to say to the district attorney what? Prove it. Burden of proof is on the person who makes the claim. Now, here's how this works out in our circumstances. There are all kinds of times when people make claims against Christianity. In other words, they say it's so. Uh, the gentleman we talked to last night, Gabriel. And is Gabriel here? We invited him in. I don't know if he's here. He's the waiter. He said that he heard a six-minute presentation about a guy who said all the Bible was invented at the Council of Nicaea, which is absolute, complete nonsense. Council of Nicaea had nothing even to do with that. The canon was largely established long before that. It's nonsense. But this guy just said it. And in six minutes, he had knocked this dear Christian brother off his pins. Did he give any reasons why? Apparently not. He just said it. And so it's legitimate for us then when they say something like that to ask another question. And that question is, how did you come to that conclusion? What are your reasons for that? Why do you think that's the way it actually happened? What is the evidence for this? A lot of variations, but you need that. You don't have to be knocked over because somebody just makes a claim against your view. People can do that all day long. They can tell stories all day long. A story is not an argument. And these stories are compelling. That is, they have rhetorical force, even if they don't have any substance. People can claim anything they want. And if we then try to disprove their story before asking them to give reasons for it, we've given them a free ride. And we don't want to give them a free ride. In the immortal words of Desi Arnaz, they got a lot of splaining to do. Ask them to do some of the splaining. Why they think their view is worthy of belief. Okay? You know, uh, they talk about throwing a gauntlet down, and down into the room. What's a gauntlet? Gauntlet is a, it's a glove, right? What does it signify when you throw the gauntlet down? It's a, like a medieval glove. The knights, You throw the gauntlet down, and that's a what? It's a challenge. So somebody gets in. Do you imagine the knight saying, throwing the gauntlet down, saying, I win. The other guys are saying, what do you mean you win? You just got into the game. Now you got to put up or shut up. Now you got to fight. Now you got to show us what you got. Okay? Same thing here. There are a lot of people who want to get in the game with their religious views and their objections to Christianity, which is fine. I don't doesn't bother me at all. But they can't just throw the gauntlet down and say, I win. Because I got some questions for you. You're not going to get a free ride. I want to know how did you come to that conclusion. You see the power of that question. Now, don't be surprised if you ask that question and you get, guess what? Simon and Garfunkel again. Because your question kind of presumes that they have thought it through, right? And they know how they came to that conclusion. But most people have not thought through their own convictions. Outside of the church, inside of the church. This is why a lot of Christians don't want to be asked these questions. People say to me, what happens if they use Columbo on you? You mean if they ask me, what do I mean by that? You think that bothers me? Sit down. Put up your feet. I'll tell you all about it. I know what I mean by it. I mean, I thought about these things a little bit. I don't have any trouble telling people, well, what if they say, how did you come to that conclusion? Sit down. Put up your feet. 
I'll tell them all about it because I've thought about some of these things. Now, that doesn't mean I got answers for every single thing, but if I have a conviction about something, I have a reason why I hold that conviction. And if somebody asks me for it, then I can give it. So there's no reason any Christian should be frightened about that kind of question unless they haven't done a little homework on their own. So this is an invitation to do some of your own homework, okay? Now, I am really frustrated right now because I could go on, I promise you, for two more hours with all kinds of stuff, illustrations, examples that I've included in the book or things that have happened since I wrote that about eight years ago and and, uh, pass on to you to make this whole presentation a little bit more robust just on these two issues, just on these first two steps of the game plan. There's a third step. It's more complicated. You got to know something because basically in the third step, you're going to use questions to make a point. You're going to use questions to make a point like I did with the witch in Wisconsin. I said, what about the two-year-old here? So I'm using a question to make a point. And you have to know what point you're trying to make in order to use the third use of Columbo. So this is a little bit more advanced. And I'm not asking you to go there yet. Don't even worry about that. I'm just asking you to do two things. Ask the question, what do you mean by that? And then listen. And ask the question, how'd you come to that conclusion? And then listen. And see what they have to say. And I promise you, you just, look it, it's, what, March? No, not quite March, February. Just How about the whole month of March, In any engagement with other people, all you do is just gather information. You're going to be a student. You're just going to listen. Tell me what your views are. And then when they tell the views and you get a real thorough understanding of it, then you might ask the second question, hey, how did you, and and why do you think that's true? How'd you come to that conclusion? See what they say. You are going to get an education. And I want to tell you, you're going to learn two things from this. You're going to learn they're not as scary as you thought. I promise you, If you do this, you will learn they are not as scary as you thought. You just listen to their responses. Now, some of people are going to still be scary. But in general, this is going to take a lot of the fright out of the whole enterprise. And you have nothing on the line. You are not vulnerable at all. You're just gathering information. And if they say, well, what about you? And then and you don't want to talk about it because you don't feel you're up to the test. Say, well, I'd rather just learn about you right now. I don't want to answer questions. That's okay. Ease into it, that's all. Be a student, ask, what do you mean by that? Ask, how did you come to that conclusion? And you're gonna learn that they're not so frightening. And I'll tell you what else you'll learn. They're not as smart as you thought. Now, this isn't a put down, but we have this tendency to look at those people who oppose us and think they're brilliant. We don't know any, how could we ever deal with that? Wow. But when you let them talk in more detail, when they are forced to clarify, not just preach their own view, in a class or something. Boy, they sound really good. But when they're forced to clarify their view and particulars of it, and that little part, what was that about? And this, what was that? Help me out here. And then when they're forced to defend it in a reasonable way, I think you're going to find out there's not much there in many cases. Sometimes you're going to get a toughie who's thought about it more, but not most of the time. And I think now you're in a very, very good spot to pursue this when you learn the third use of Columbo, okay? Using questions to make a point. And I just wanna make an observation here as I close. I have fulfilled my promise to you, haven't I? I told you I would give you a game plan that will allow you to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little you knew, or how knowledgeable, or aggressive, or even obnoxious the other person happens to be. You can ask him, what do you mean by that? And let him run.
You can ask them, how'd you come to that conclusion? And let them run. You pay attention to what they're saying, and you see if you have any room to maneuver with more questions. And if you don't, just count it a learning experience and don't worry about it. I promise you, you will be stunned at how much progress you will make in certain circumstances if you only have those two questions and you never try to make your own case. When you ask questions to get people to think for themselves about these things, it is amazing what God will do. And you won't move on from that to the third step. Everything will change then. It has for me. It has for thousands of other people that I've taught and trained and interacted with. They've all said the same thing. If you ever get in a tight spot, take a tip from Lieutenant Colombo. Always what? Ask questions. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll see we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, Pat's books, and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit their website. That's hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.